2: Breddy went missing yesterday. Sadly, it's not a surprise. The clay affects us all in one way or another. But sometimes, that terrible place learns one of our names and refuses to forget it. It's an awful thing to be marked, to know that all your actions are little more than antecedents to a horribly calculated doom that you can neither understand nor avoid. As an outsider, I imagine you might find my words to be careless, or even heartless. But just as the soils of Devil's Clay are bereft of life, so we are of hope. No one knows why the clay took such a liking to Brady. Some of us think it's because he was born on the day our ancestors tried to burn down Devil's Clay. Something they paid dearly for. While others don't believe there's an explanation at all. As one of our town elders, Johansson Thornsby, put it,
3: The clay don't do things
2: like you and I, you hear? Ain't no rhyme or reason to what it does. And if there is, it'd sure drive you mad to know. Brady's ties to the clay go as far back as the day he was born. It was 18 years ago, October 16th, when he was brought into the world. And it was that very night that the Low House Woods sing a strange and melancholy tune from somewhere beyond its autumn tresses. While the rest of the town cowered beneath the weight of a dark and unwelcome serenade, Brady, according to his mother, was lulled to sleep by it. They say the melody played on and off for an entire week, and every time its wicked notes beset our small community, Brady could be found slumbering in his crib. The strangeness haunting Brady continued over the years, reaching a fever pitch when he was about nine. Many of us knew Brady when he was a kid, and although we were aware of his circumstances, we couldn't help but poke a bit of fun at him when we saw him playing with a dirty old jack-in-the-box in his backyard one day. If we'd known, or even bothered to ask, he would have revealed to us that he found it on the borders of the Low House Woods, and we could have disposed of it then. Regrettably, youth often mire such considerations, and now someone is gone, dead, or worse. According to Brady, it began in the backyard of his home while he and his eight-year-old cousin, Mason, were playing. He said they were digging in the dirt, looking for dinosaur bones, when it all occurred. While Brady was apparently excavating the next big exhibit for the Smithsonian, he noticed that his cousin had wandered off, along with his cherished Jack in the Box. Worried, he got up from his dig site and searched for his younger cousin, who had wandered a few properties down the street. After cutting across some yards and hiking a few fences, Brady found himself in some shallow forestry, where he claimed to have seen Mason out in the distance. Being led into the Low House Woods by his Jack in the Box, the sight he said frozen soldered him tightly to the moorings of this world and kept him from spilling over the edge to another. But after a minute or two, he was speeding towards the trees, rushing after horrors that had, for once, found someone else to haunt. Freddy remembered little about his entrance into the Low House Woods. It was simply a blur a befogged recollection of dusk-toned coppice and crooked, barked arms. But even so, the forest was a graveyard of dead dreams, In running through them left an impression that, while not explicitly recallable, would be echoed in Brady's nightmares for years to come. However, those specters would have to wait their turn, for a more distinct exposition of dread imposed itself when Brady found the terminus of his ten-year-old cousin's tracks. According to Brady, he saw, among heaps of autumn detritus, Mason's tiny legs sticking out from the opened lid of that horrible little jack-in-the-box. Its slim, clothed hands were pulling at his cousin's kicking feet, he said, trying desperately to squeeze him into the impossibly small confines of a children's plaything. Brady tried to help his floundering cousin, But before he could grab onto his tiny, sneakered feet, he was gone, swallowed into a small six-walled world, where the sounds of springs, laughter, and discordant nursery rhymes would forever be his only company. I remember when the police found Brady later that night. We went out to help with the search. And it was only after me, William, and a couple other friends were taking a break that the cops reportedly found Brady, in a state of shock, huddled under a blanket of leaves in the Lowhouse woods. It took a week for Brady to finally discuss what happened, and when he did, it tore the town apart. Those who believed his story, and those who didn't. However, since no body was ever found, and no signs of full plague could be discerned, Brady was never prosecuted. That being said, Brady has had little opportunity to move past the event, as many of the townspeople still believe him to be a murderer and treat him as such. But bad luck isn't something you can shake, and a clay as how isn't one to loosen its grip. No, that stop involving the jack-in-the-box was just the beginning of Brady's problems. By 13, he was a social pariah, most kids believing him a murderer or, worse yet, an agent of the clay. There wasn't a day when he wasn't shunned by his peers, whispers floating behind his back like clouds of gnats on a hot summer day. William would often stand up for his little brother, for what it was worth, scolding his peers almost daily. But the cruelty of children is an inexhaustible resource, and his classmates endlessly toiled in its mining, so rumors continued to pump through the circulatory system of the student body, recycling and renewing in an infinite dance of he-said-she-said said gossip. We tried to console him, his brother Lila and I, but at that point we could already see the mileage on his face. He carried his sleepless nights into bags under his eyes and his pale countenance spoke to the life that had been sucked out of him by classmates and clay alike. But Brady was a notoriously quiet kid, and there was no telling what kind of emotions were smoldering beneath that skeletal frame of his. While the rumor mill had its share of churners, some had worked more overtime than others. Sophie May was a notorious busybody, sewing the most extravagant yarns with the slightest bit of thread. Her favorite crochets, however were about Brady as he seemed to be an infinite source of string then there were the Tumbler twins Bart and Thad Tumbler together they made up about half a brain not a spark of brightness between them but what they lacked in wet they made up with wiles the duplicitous duplicates always eager to spread a rumor or two perhaps the worst of them though was Ziggy Ebersole an abhorrent little soul with the mean streak of a wolverine while most kids talked behind Brady's back, they were too frightened to confront him directly, fearful of recompense from the town that shall not be named. However, Ziggy was an exception to that rule, often physically bullying Brady, or, at the very least, publicly humiliating him. But Ziggy was an outcast himself, said to be the forbidden love child of Reverend Ossinger and his devout congregant, Press Abersal. To be honest, I think Ziggy just didn't want to be at the bottom of the social ladder, so he worked hard to keep Brady a few rungs below him. Together, this foursome maintained the vitality of Brady's social unlife, each working together like cogs in some sinister machine. But that all changed on January 18th, 2017. The day was chilly, the winter visiting heaps of snow upon the town. As such, It was immediately alarming that Sophie, the Tumbler twins, and Ziggy weren't at school. But it wasn't soon after the lunch bell rang that sirens began to scream across town. The palpitating blue and red lights of passing ambulances strobing the school walls. Soon, word spread that the destination of said ambulances was none other than Ziggy Ebersal's home. People say that when he was finally escorted from the house, his hair was as white as the new fallen snow and his once-confident stature had been reduced to a diminutive cower. Not long after, similar visits were paid to the May and Tumbler residences. Though their hair maintained its original color, Sophie May and the Tumbler twins were said to be nigh catatonic. After much coaxing and countless hours of therapy, it was only later that the children finally told their tale. On the night of January 9th, Sophie May claimed she awoke to the sound of her closet door winding open. Inside it, wearing a smile that tested the limits of his face, was none other than Brady Earwood. She said he told her horrible things, dark secrets best left to the abyss from which they surely came. The Tumblr twins claimed they received a similar visit, swearing that Brady lied beneath their beds and whispered terrible truths they dared not ever repeat. As for Ziggy Eversol, his only testimony was a series of shrieks and half-formed sentences that, to this day, haunt the halls of Madison Psychiatric Hospital. According to William, Sheriff Clyborne, a superstitious and God-fearing man, was visibly shaking when he arrived at the Earwood house to question Brady. Well aware of Sheriff's sordid history with the clay, he was careful in phrasing his questions, not wanting to summon the ire of any foul spirits that might be protecting the devil's favorite son. His questions were barely penetrative, poking Brady with butter knife questions, almost racing down his laundry list of inquiries to exit the house. He didn't even seem interested that Brady's brother and mother couldn't account for his whereabouts after 10 p.m., having already gone to bed for the night. Sheriff Clybourne concluded his interview with a nervous smile in a hurried gait, practically running out the door of the Yearwood residence. No charges were ever pressed. As with all small towns, word spread quickly of Brady's alleged nighttime visitations, instilling renewed fear among his peers and causing the once thriving rumor mill to finally stop grinding. But it wasn't until a year later that things came to a full, in awful circle. Sophie May was found hanging from the beams of her parents' dusty attic by thick braids of yarn, and Barton Thad Tumbler mysteriously choked on the tongues they were once so fond of wagging. But despite being lulled to sleep by bouts of disembodied music, or living in a town that hated him, his most troublesome adversary was his own subconscious. Over the past ten years, William said it wasn't uncommon for the night's quiet to be suddenly shattered by his oft terrified younger brother. While Brady often refused to discuss the content of his nightly dreams, William, a concerned older brother, took it upon himself to find out more. Specifically, He waited until Brady left for work one day, and then pillaged his room for details. After about 30 minutes of pouring through closets, boxes, and sock drawers, he finally stumbled onto a particularly worn notebook beneath his brother's carpet. Upon opening the raggedy thing, he realized it was Brady's journal and read the latest entry. Upon the onset of sleep, I found myself wandering
3: the corpse of a long, dead town. There was no wind there, just the hot exhale of whispered secrets. The houses lining the streets loomed like gable-roofed coffins, each burgeoning with the heavy breaths of resting evils. With each step forward, ghosts of red dust blossomed beneath my feet, and as plumes of heavy, long-dried-up soil met with the air that had for so long neglected it, I sensed that the land I was standing on no longer had use for the air's more basic charities, if it ever had to begin with. At that moment, a strange scene suddenly rose before me. A run of seed-bedded terrain, crimson in tone, stretching out into the bruise-colored dusk. Hundreds of shadows began congregating, each kneeling and planting a large sum of strange, black seeds into the ruined soil. Upon deposition, I could somehow hear the seeds. Some seemed to scream out in terrible pain. Some seemed to laugh maniacally. Others appeared to have no voice at all but instead either clinked, thumped, or even slithered. But no matter its sound, each seed seemed to echo off below. It was as if they hadn't been buried but instead tossed into some never-ending well. Finally, however, the farming shade's efforts seemed to pay off. As the dirt began to erupt with wicked shapes, monstrous trees jutted from the ground, long fingers of fetid lumber joined to form haunted chimeras of house and devil, and figures of sculpted midnight rose from the earth and deep. And as the land succumbed to the blast being penumbra below, a fragile and effervescent voice flitted in the air with the whimsy of falling leaves. It whispered, Soil is as good as sun if it contains the right nutrients. And oh, what sins this world has sown to bloom such beautiful darknesses. Come see us, child. See this wonderful garden of shadows. See for yourself the grand awfulness of this world in the fruit it is wrought.
2: William said last week was difficult for his younger brother, though he couldn't tell me why. Breddy had been quieter than usual, closing himself off in his room like some vampire hiding in its coffin. When he wasn't home, he was at work running the register, but even there, he was largely absent, his attention far beyond the humble dressings of a local hardware store and fixed upon a place where shadows run free of their corporeal hosts. According to William... He saw his brother wandering outside the night before he went missing. Knowing that Brady sometimes sleepwalked, he put on a coat and went to gather his slumbering sibling. said the night was stoic, still, unmoved by the wind or disturbed by the songs of nighttime creatures. It was perfectly silent, as if the darkness was holding its breath. It was the reticence of ceremony, that quiet that haunts a funeral procession or drifts between the pews of an empty church. Something was happening. William rushed to the back of his house, towards the woods, where he saw his brother walking, There was a resistance to his movements, a silent gale pushing against the momentum of his eagerness. He pushed against it as hard as possible, but the force was stalwart, giving up little ground. As he slowly trudged forward, he could see his brother in the distance, sitting before a gaping wound in the forest, the entrance to the Lowhouse woods. He tried yelling to him, but the knight shrank his voice, whittled it down to a whisper. William could see the clouds above begin to churn, bursts of light illuminating their black bellies. Their ponderous mass floated above Brady, where they started to roil like a molten, ebb and sea. A faint voice poured down from the swirling atmosphere, but the words sounded garbled, as if they were being spoken from underwater. Then it all stopped. William could move unhindered, in the force that kept him from his brother ebbed. He took advantage and sprinted towards Brady, who was quietly sitting on a patch of grass, his eyes penetrating deep into the overgrowth and thickets of the Lowhouse woods. When he arrived, Brady said nothing to William and only complied with his brother's request to return to the house. Once there, William walked his brother back to his room and helped him to bed. And while he was physically back in his room, William couldn't help but shake the feeling that his brother was still out in the naked dark, convening with unearthly powers. That was the last time William, or anyone, saw Brady The following day, he was gone. Now things have come full circle. The music accompanying Brady's birth has begun again. But now we fear that the melodic omen that once heralded our friend's entrance into the world may be attempting to deliver him into another.
0: Devil's Clays of Maltopia Production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anselon. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anselon. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page, or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.